I always appreciate the fact that uh, you give us a chance to get away a little bit. It's always good to get away, but it's always great to come back. Uh, while we're away, we, uh, we go to a little place in uh, New Jersey. We've been going there for years called Stone Harbor. But we go up to Ocean City to go to church on Sundays because uh, there's a tabernacle there, and they always have these guest speakers, and it's usually uh, pretty uh, exciting and stimulating and so forth. And uh, so this year, Pat Williams was there. Uh, Pat was one of the original uh, originators of the Orlando Magic, and so a uh, big sports guy and whatnot, and it uh, was just great to uh, kind of think about uh, the influence of Christ through sports, and uh, it was just kind of exciting to uh, listen to him speak about uh, leadership and the leadership style of Jesus. But anyway, uh, I want to invite you to uh, return to Ecclesiastes. I think uh, if you're using the Bibles there in the seats, it's on page uh, 664, but in our uh, quest for a God-first life, for more of a God-first life, we've been studying this Old Testament wisdom book of Ecclesiastes. And uh, the word in Hebrew is koheleth, and it really means teacher or preacher or really professor or philosopher. And uh, it's kind of uh, interesting the way this is written. <clears throat> it's not like a lecture, it's like uh, a seminar, and the author is trying to engage us to kind of think about important things, about life and how we approach life. And so King Solomon is the author. And uh, King Solomon sets out, as you know, to explore everything there is to explore under the sun. And so this morning we come to Ecclesiastes chapter 9. <clears throat> and in chapter 9 we have a couple of Solomon's conclusions. After all of this exploring life under the sun, we're coming down towards the end of the book. And um, Solomon shares with us a couple of his um, conclusions. And I want to suggest to you that uh, really in chapter 9 at the end of the day, between chapter 9 and 10, um, <clears throat> I want to suggest to you that perhaps the best approach to life under the sun is to begin with the end in mind. When you approach your life living under the sun, Perhaps the best way to do it is to approach it with the end in mind. Begin with the end in mind. It's kind of like programming your GPS. Your GPS needs two things in order to function. It needs a beginning point, which is usually pretty easy. It's pretty much wherever you are, right? But it needs a destination. It needs a correct destination point. It needs an ending point in order to work right. Uh, to begin with the end in mind is to put the correct destination at the end of your dash, at the end of the dash that we saw in this little video. And uh, because if you enter an incorrect destination, or if you enter no destination at all, your GPS will not, it will be true to what you put in it, but it won't do you much good if you have the wrong destination in mind. Begin life under the sun with the end in mind. Um, all the guidance you get will be wrong if you put the wrong destination in the GPS. And I always like to think that we Christians, those of us who are true believers, have an onboard GPS. God's personal spirit is really on board to guide us through life. But if we have the wrong destination in mind, uh, we'll frustrate our GPS. And so, what is at the end of life under the sun? And it's the same for all of us, and Solomon is not afraid to face that reality. Life under the sun ends in death. 
Life under the sun ends in death. We all die. For eight chapters, Solomon has been talking about the options available to us under the sun. But when we come to chapter 9, we sort of turn a corner. And we sort of pause in chapter 9 long enough um, to kind of consider where is this all going? And to consider the fact that life ends in death and it gives us an opportunity to recalculate our GPS once we are willing to face this reality in light of where it all ends. And so not only does materialism and accomplishment not satisfy the human soul, not only does hedonism not satisfy, not only does workaholism not satisfy our souls, but after all of those pursuits in life under the sun, you die. And um, Solomon, I think, wants to face this and talk to us about it. So let me just read the first couple of verses here in chapter 9. Solomon says, so I reflected on all of this and I concluded. Here's a conclusion from, you know, pursuing life under the sun. I concluded that the righteous and the wise and what they do are in God's hands. Now, Solomon hasn't talked about God a whole lot. He's mentioned God, but here he's saying, listen, your life is in God's hands, right? He's saying uh, what we, who we are and what we do are in God's hands, but... No man knows whether love or hate awaits him. Nobody knows quite how this is all going to turn out, right? All share a common destiny. The righteous and the wicked, the good and the bad, the clean and the unclean, those who worship or offer sacrifices and those who don't, as it is with the good men, so it is with the sinner, as it is with those who take oaths, so it is with those who are afraid to take oaths. This is the evil in everything that happens under the sun. The same destiny overtakes everybody. Do you know what Solomon is saying here? If life under the sun is all there is, there is absolutely no point to living. There is no meaning. There is no right and wrong. If life under the sun ends in death for everybody, whether you're a good person or a bad person, whether you're a worshiper or not a worshiper, no matter what, if life ends with the end, if death ends and life under the sun is all there is, there's really no point and no meaning to life. You might as well just do whatever you want. This is an amazing conclusion because it's so in sync with the conclusion that Paul comes to exactly the same thing in the New Testament. If your hope in Christ is only in this life, you are of all people most to be pitied. And so I think this is a fascinating passage of Scripture. Um, He's talking about death. And he says in verse 1, you know, we are all in God's hands. If you begin with the end in mind... The first great reality you have to deal with is God. Whether you acknowledge it or not, your life came from God and your life is going to return to God. If you're going to deal with life under the sun, the first great reality that you need to deal with is God. And uh, because our lives are in God's hands, life and death are in God's hands. And uh, the Bible says that people die once. Uh, You remember this uh, passage? I know there's a lot of books around lately about uh, people who have died supposedly and come back and they're telling us about heaven and so on and so forth. But in Hebrews chapter 9 and uh, verse 26, verse 27, talking about Christ, that Christ has appeared once and for all at the end of the ages to do away with sin 
by the sacrifices of himself, just as man is destined to die once, and after that face judgment. Hebrews 9.27. The old King James says it's appointed unto man to die once. I always think of death as an appointment that God has set. The first great reality, if you're going to approach life under the sun with the end in mind, is understand that someday you will meet God face to face. And it's appointed, I think, uh, I think it's important to say, you know, it's appointed unto man once to die. And uh, after that comes uh, the judgment. And so we're all in God's hands. God sets an appointment. He knows our future. And uh, notice uh, what he says here. Uh, in this verse, he says, and, and nobody really knows whether love or hate awaits him. Nobody really knows whether blessing or cursing is waiting for them. Nobody really knows the end. And um, nobody really knows our future, whether it will bring blessing or sorrow. Only God knows what's going to happen to us. And uh, not only that, but this is true for everybody. Um, this is true. All share a common destiny. We're all going to die. And so uh, when you approach life under the sun with the end in mind, the first reality you have to deal with is the fact that God created you and God is going to hold you accountable for what you did with your dash. We will face God on the other side of this life. Now, the second thing um, that I think is a reality that uh, Solomon uh, comes to a conclusion in verse 2, he says, all share a common destiny, the righteous and the wicked, the good and the bad, the clean and the unclean, those who offer sacrifices, those who worship, those who don't, and so forth. And Solomon sees this as a great evil. Under so This is the evil, verse 3, in everything that happens under the sun, the same destiny overtakes everybody. He's talking about death. The second great reality about uh, living life under the sun, if we're going to face it with the, end of my, with the end in mind, is that death is a reality for everybody, that we all die. And uh, the same fate, if you will, takes over everybody's life. And if under the sun, again, is all there is and death is the end, then it makes no difference how you live. Nothing really matters. Uh, the Bible calls death our last enemy. And if life under the sun is all there is, our last enemy wins. Right? Death is our last enemy. Uh, because why? Because we all die. Everybody dies. We all fall down. Uh, ring around the roses, pockets full of posy, ashes, ashes, we all fall down. Do you know that little uh, rhyme uh, comes from the uh, uh, days of the Black Plague? And uh, uh, people thought that the plague came from breathing polluted air. And so if you went out and walked in the rose garden, ring around the roses, they thought you would breathe fresh air and it would somehow relieve the plague. Uh, doctors used to put petals of posies in their pockets and go into the hospital rooms and sprinkle the petals on the patients in order that they might breathe fresher air. And some people actually took ashes and they'd lay them on your chest and blow them into your nose to make you sneeze so that you could clean out your lungs and so forth. But in the end, they all fell down. The plague took everybody out. And uh, I, I didn't know that. I was doing research for this sermon, came across the explanation of that. I had no idea that that's what that was from. But the truth is, in the end, we all fall down. 
And uh, death comes to everybody, some sooner, some later, but death comes to everybody. And so we all fall down, and that's what Solomon has observed. He said, when you go after life under the sun, if life under the sun is all there is, whether you're good or bad, uh, you know, uh, uh, worshiper or non-worshiper, and if life under the sun is all there is, uh, there's really no point, no meaning, no purpose, and you might as well just do whatever you feel like. But you remember that Solomon said in chapter 3 and verse 11, God has put eternity in people's hearts. Every single person has the capacity at least to wonder what's on the other side of this life. God has put eternity in people's hearts. When you're talking to people, I have a friend that I've been talking to for years, and he believes that when you die, lights go out, and that's the end, and there is no more. And I've been talking to him for years, and I'm bothering him because I know that God has put eternity, the thought of eternity, in that guy's heart. And he won't acknowledge it, and he'll fight it, and he never wants to talk about death and all of that kind of stuff. But Solomon said that God has put eternity, a curiosity about our future, in every person's heart, a capacity to think beyond the sun, beyond time, beyond what's under the sun. But you will never satisfy that curiosity without God. You cannot satisfy that curiosity without God. God sent Jesus into life under the sun precisely to defeat our last enemy, death. Right? It's precisely why Jesus came into the world, is to defeat death, our last enemy. There are lots of people who walked away from Jesus' teaching. But Jesus' resurrection is overwhelmingly compelling. There's lots of people who walked away from Jesus' teaching. They heard him teach, they were wowed by it for a little while, but they walked away. But when Jesus came back from the dead, that's why it says in Romans 10, 9 and 10, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. See, why is that so important? Well, because it's the end. And until you get the right end in mind, you can't calculate how to get through life until you have the end in mind that God has in mind for us. And so, so much that Paul says in the New Testament agrees with what Solomon says here in the Old Testament that, you know, life is useless if there's no life beyond the grave. And it's meaningless and it's frustrating and you can't figure it out. And uh, you, it doesn't make sense and you can't put it together and so forth. Um, and so only Jesus, the only begotten Son of God, can lift us out from under the sun into eternity. And when it comes to living under the sun, you want to make sure you begin with the end in mind. Otherwise, you will end up in the wrong destination. So one of the best things we can do is face the reality of our dash. One of the best things we can do is acknowledge that life under the sun is temporary and decide, are we going to believe God? Are we going to trust Him? Do we believe God when he tells us that your life under the sun is maybe a hundred years, but that all of eternity is at stake? And that God created you to be like him, and he's eternal? And that Jesus came in order to give us eternal life, which starts now and goes forever? Are we going to believe him? Um, who has an entirely different destination for those who really love him. And again, um, a whole different end in mind. Jesus defeating sin and death 
you know, is the burst of light in the apex of human history that once that light gets inside of you, changes your destination, which in turn, once your destination is changed, it changes everything about this life. It changes everything about your dash when your destination is the destination that God has for you and that God desires for you. And so, um, but there's a problem. There's a problem, and Solomon's on to it. Um, look what he says, the second part of verse 3. He says, here's the problem. The hearts of men are full of evil, and there is madness in their hearts while they're alive. The problem is that people are insane. People are crazy. People are full of madness and anger. People are trying to put it together without God, and they can't, and they're filled with anger. And look what he says. He says, the hearts of men are full of evil, and there's madness in their hearts while they live, and then afterwards, they join the dead. People will not listen to what God is screaming from heaven through his only begotten son, through the resurrection, through his word, by his spirit, through his people, and so on and so forth. It's an evil... It's an evil that in everything under the sun, death renders it all so meaningless. But worse than that, while we're alive, people's hearts are insane. You can turn on the news any night and see the truth of this. You watch those people in Egypt. They're all Egyptians. And they're just killing each other. I forget, somebody was talking about... Um, if we translated all the money that's been put into fighting over the course of human history uh, into gold, uh, it would be, I forget the, the whole thing, I couldn't find it again where I read it, but uh, it would be like a band of gold about five miles wide, five miles deep that go around the earth three, four, five times. All the money that we've spent, you know, on trying to kill each other, perfecting ways to, we're insane. We're mad. Solomon looks at it back in his day. He says there's evil in people's hearts while they're alive. They can't come to grasp, you know, what God, and if you ignore God, and if you, you know, uh, live as if you're never going to die, and you don't consider God, and you don't consider death, and so on and so forth, um, if, if you ignore that still small voice that God has put inside of you by putting eternity in your heart, and uh, if, if, if you ignore that voice and ignore the values that come with eternal living and so forth, well, your heart fills up with this evil and this madness. It's insane. And it's all over, and we see it, and it's increasing. If it was in Solomon's day, what is it today? I mean, it just keeps getting crazy. Uh, you turn on the news, and any night you can see this madness, this evil and madness, and uh, it makes the world an insane place to live. And so the first eight chapters, you know, detail this madness that takes over people's hearts. But then notice in verse 4, um, anybody who's among the living has hope. I like this. The first great reality in living life under the sun is you've got you've to factor in God. You came from God. You're going to return to God. You've got to deal with God. The second great reality that you have to deal with in life under the sun is you are going to die. This life is temporary. It's not all there is. The third great reality about life under the sun is if you're alive, there's hope. If you're alive, there's hope. Look what he says. Anybody who's among the living, that would be most of us here this morning, anybody who's among the living has hope. Even a live dog is better off than a dead lion. I don't know if you saw the news this week, but 
Um, did you see the news that there's a zoo in China? Did you see this? And they, the lion, I guess, died or something, so they took a dog and they shaved it to look like a lion and they put it in a cage to appease the people, right? And it, it worked and it was fine until the thing barked, right? And so all of a sudden we got all these complaints and then the zoo official said, you know, oh, that's the sound they make when they're mating, you know, kind of thing. I'm just like, you got to be kidding me, you know? It just reminded me of that when, when he said that, you know? But... Um, it's better to be a live little dog than it is to be a dead, roaring lion. Because why? Because if you're alive, there's still hope. If we all die, and you only live once, and uh, if it's appointed for us to die, if we're still alive, then there's still hope. This is the great reality. Uh, when you begin with the end in mind, you need to factor in God. You need to factor in the upcoming demise of your own life in this world. And you need to factor in the reality of hope. People who turn to God um, while they're alive become pregnant with hope. Uh, you might remember, I doubt it, but you might, um, from 1 Peter, when we were studying 1 Peter. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope. What is it about being a Christian that's so exciting? Well, we've been born again into this living hope, not a dead hope, not a hope that ever is going to die, but a living hope, he says, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I mean, there's no other religious leader who ever came back from the dead. There is no hope apart from Christ. There is one name given among heaven whereby we might be saved, and it's the name Jesus Christ. There's one mediator between God and man. It's the only begotten Son of God. And Peter says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord, because in his mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power, et cetera, et cetera. The resurrection is so important. It's so compelling. You know, it connects with that eternity that God has put in our hearts and uh, allows us to live with this living hope. Any hope that you have that death can get rid of is a dead hope. Any hope that you have that death can take away from you is not a living hope. You know, no wonder the Bible says, lay up treasures for yourself in heaven. Live with the end in mind. Have confidence in where you're going because of what Christ has done. And uh, I just think it's such a great thing to be able to live like this because here's, here's uh, in Ecclesiastes, notice what he says here in, in, in verse 6. Um, he, he says, well, let me just start in verse 5. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. Why is it better to be a live dog than a dead lion? Well, if you're still alive, the, you, you know that you're going to die, but the dead know nothing. They have no further reward, and, and even the memory of them is forgotten. Their love, their hate, and their jealousy have long since vanished. Never again will they have a part in anything that happens under the sun. I hope there's nobody here who thinks uh, 
you know, that we're reincarnated and we can just keep coming back. And if I don't get it right this time, I can maybe get it right the next time. And I'll just keep going around until I get it right. And, you know, I spent some time in, in India and in Hinduism, they believe in reincarnation. And, you know, if you're not really a good person, you come back as a rat, you know, and, and that's why they don't kill the rats over there because it might be your Aunt Tilly and, you know, and all of that kind of stuff. I mean, it's just, it's absolutely insane, you know. And Solomon says, look, you know, you only go around once in life. And I think it's Solomon's way of saying, listen, make the most of the dash. Make, live to the max. Make the most of the dash. Because once you die, your love, your hate, your jealousy, it's all going to vanish. Never again will you have a part in anything that happens under the sun. You get one shot to go around. And uh, you can only go around once. And so I think Solomon is emphasizing the importance of life and how much of a gift from God life is when it's lived connected to the reality of eternity. It's why Jesus came, to reconnect us to eternal life. And if you've never trusted Christ, if you've always just kind of been on the uh, shelf and you've never really you know, decided to reconnect uh, with eternity, I'd urge you to face the fact that your dash is coming to an end. And the older you get, the quicker it's coming. I don't know why that is, but it just is. And it just happens, right? There is no other name given among men whereby you can extend the dash into eternity than Jesus Christ. And I would urge you with everything in me to check that out because uh, it's so significant. You know what the Bible says? Uh, God has a destination for us that's different than just the grave. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, it says, No eye has seen... No ear has heard, no mind has conceived all that God has prepared for those who love him. But the Spirit of God has revealed it to us. There is a way of living where you can have confidence about your eternity because it doesn't depend on you. It depends on what Jesus did. And it's a great way to live. And I would tell you, it recalculates your whole GPS. When you begin to live under the sun with the destination, with the end in mind. And when that end is eternity in the presence of God with Jesus, it's a fabulous, optimistic outlook that begins to take over our lives. And it helps us interpret what's going on now. Now, when the reality of God... And the reality of death and the reality of hope become realities on a personal level in our lives, okay? When those three things happen, uh, I love this part, now you are finally able to enjoy your life under the sun. Right now, your life now. That's what Solomon says. When you factor in God and deal with him, when you factor in death and deal with that reality, and you factor in and you're pregnant with this hope that comes to us from Christ, now you're finally in a position to enjoy life under the sun. Verse 7. Go eat your food with gladness. Go eat your food with gladness. Drink your wine with a joyful heart, for it is now that God favors what you do. It's now. Once you get all that straight... God begins to favor what you do. God is for you, not against you. Always be clothed in white and always anoint your head with oil. Enjoy life with your wife whom you love all the days of this meaningless life that God has given under the sun. All your meaningless days, for this is your lot in life and in your toilsome labor under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might, for in the grave where you're going, 
There's neither working, nor planning, nor knowledge, nor wisdom. <laughs> now, this is a theme. I think there are six or seven times where Solomon, through this meaningless life under the sun, apart from God, apart from death, and apart from hope, says, listen, the, the lot that God has given us, once we have him and once we have this hope secure, we're finally in a place where we can actually enjoy life under the sun. And this is exciting, don't you think? I think as Christians, you and I are in the business of bringing as much joy to as many people as we can through the power of the gospel before we die. I think that's our job. Go into the world, make disciples. Go into the world and help people deal with this God who loves them, but they don't know it. Deal with the reality of their own death, which God has conquered and defeated that enemy. And help people to become pregnant with this hope of this eternal life that Jesus came to give us. Your job in life, before your dash ends, is to bring as much joy to as many people as you can before you die. That's what our job is as Christians. It's a great privilege, it seems to me, to be able to uh, be in the world and have that as our job. And this advice, you know, this advice is coming from Solomon, King Solomon. And um, listen to what he's saying here. Uh, because I think we've lost this message too, you know. He's saying, look, real joy comes from enjoying meals around the table. It comes from leisurely meals with people that you love. Real joy. Real uh, uh, joy comes from sharing those meals around the table, from, from realizing that God favors what you do now. I'm going to ask you a question this morning. When you pray and you imagine the face of God when you're praying, what does it look like? Is it this Father who's delighted with you? and who's thrilled with you and how you're living? Or is it this father who's got this face on that's like impatient, you should be doing better, maybe he's got a big stick in his hand, and you're trying to pray. What, what, what's your image of the father that you're praying to? Because I'm going to tell you, if you're connected to that father through Christ, all your sins are gone. And there is a father, as Solomon is saying here, you know, who says that it's now that God favors what you're doing. Are you perfect? No. But every father who has a kid knows there's no perfect kids. But a father can be delighted in his children. I think probably my favorite story that Jesus ever told us in Luke chapter 15, if you want to go home and read it over, but... In Luke 15, there was a father and two sons. You remember the story here? And the younger kid says, you know what? I want everything I can get from you, and then I'm out of here. Because I want to go live life on my own. I want to live life under the sun, out from underneath you. So the father gives him everything, his inheritance. The kid goes off, and he squanders everything. You know the story, right? And he, just, he goes off to live on his own, and he makes a disaster out of his life. He's feeding pigs, which for a Jew is about as low as you can get. And, he, and the Bible says, in that passage, Jesus says, he came to his senses. He came to his senses, and he started thinking about home and going back to his father. You know the story, right? And, and so I think what this kid realized is that all the joy and the good things in life were at home. He thought they were out in the world, but 
turns out they're at home. And so he's going to go home and ask his father, you know, can I just be a servant? Can I make minimum wage? Can I just have, you know, some place in the lower ranks of, of your servants? And you know the story. The kid comes home, the father, he'll have none of that. He's got a smile on his face. He's got his arms open. He, puts the, he runs out to meet the kid. He puts the best robe, the best meal, the best ring on his finger. He does the whole thing because he's smiling at this kid because he's home. You know what he says? He says, this son of mine who was dead is alive. And I'm so excited. And the kid doesn't get a lecture. I think the kid is like spellbound. He's like, oh my goodness, you know, what's going on? I'm just going to keep my mouth shut and just keep coming on me. Because he's like braced to get, you know, the lecture and all. None of that. When you pray, what's What's the face of God look like? Is he smiling? Solomon says, you know, God is favoring what we do now. And then, of course, there's the older brother. And the older brother, he doesn't really think he needs the father's favor. He doesn't think he needs any grace because he's been the perfect child. He's the older one, right? He does everything right. He doesn't really think he needs God's grace. And that guy, he, comes, he, he ends up, he has no part with the father. He's got a total misrepresentation of who God really is. And uh, he comes away from the thing um, and, and totally misses it. And so, you know, I you know, just love that story because the, the God that we pray to has got a smile on his face when we're connected to him through Christ. That's why Christ came, to get rid of all the bad. So when the Lord sees us, he sees us in Christ and, and all of that stuff is gone. And then in verse 8, look what he says. Um, Always be clothed in white. White was a symbol of purity. White was worn in Solomon's day, like today, um, often. White uh, is used for what? Uh, weddings and celebrations, parties. I mean, when you're on your best, right, you can dress up. That's what he's saying. And, and, and look what Solomon says. Always wear white. Always do the right thing. Always be righteous. Always be clothed in white. And then he says, always anoint your head with oil. Always. You know, when you anointed your head with oil, it was like for a special occasion. It's like putting slick on your hair to comb it down so it wouldn't have cowlicks and all that sort of, you know? And, and Solomon's saying, no, when you get this right, you always live with this joy. I, um, oil was a symbol of the Holy Spirit, of course, uh, but it also was a symbol of joy. In Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 8, um, I'm sorry, verse 9, it says, you have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Okay? So all of a sudden, you know, when we're connected to God, we love righteousness, we hate wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil or the spirit of joy. Always be joyful. Can I say it again? Our job as Christians is to move about in this world making disciples or bringing as much joy to as many people as we can through the glorious power of the gospel before we die. That's our privilege. It's, it's our job, and it's a huge privilege to be able to move around the world like that. And then, look what Solomon says, verse 9. He says, enjoy life with your wife. Notice, singular. 
Now, this is coming from a guy who's got 700 wives and 300 porcupines, as a little kid in Sunday school said. Solomon's got 700 wives and 300 porcupines. <laughs> right? I see this as kind of a confession from Solomon. He's got 700 wives, and he's like, you know what? You want to be happy in life? Look what he says there. He says, uh, enjoy life with your wife, whom you love, all the days of this meaningless life. Real joy is found not in selfishness, but in commitment, in serving, in giving. Love that gives. Why? Because God so loved the world that he gave. And, of course, Solomon has a few things to say in Proverbs about wives. Uh, I'm not going to read a bunch of them, but here's a couple. He says, he who finds a, a wife finds what is good and receives favor from the Lord. You find a good wife, it's a favor from God. Here, here's how he explains it. He says, houses and wealth are inherited from parents, but a prudent wife is from the Lord. Wow. You can get houses and money, you know, by inheriting them and working for it and all that, but a, a good wife comes from God. And then he says this. He says, a foolish son uh, is his father's ruin, and a quarrelsome wife is like a constant dripping. If you have a, a wife who wants to fight with you all the time, you know, God bless you. Because, uh, man, that's a trip. And uh, it's just like a, a constant drip, you know, that uh, the faucet just keeps dripping. Um, and then he says in verse 10, hard work. You know, um, verse 10, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Whatever your job is, get into it and do it as for the Lord, as the New Testament says. Uh, do it with all your might. Don't be a slacker. You know, don't be uh, moaning and groaning about it all the time, but enter into it. See it as something that God's given you to do and do it for him. Enter into it with all your might. Uh, work was originally a gift from God, done in cooperation with God. To the, the work that God left for us, again, uh, for the church, is to go and make disciples, to make God first believers, and to do it with all your might. To do it as unto the Lord. To say, wow, this is a huge privilege. I've only got this little dash. And I'm to bring as much joy to as many people as I can before my dash runs out. Do it with all your might. You know, that's the job that's left for the church. But then I read this and I think, you know, uh, what about our society's formula to pursue happiness in life? Well, no time for meals. We have fast food. And uh, we eat separately on different schedules because we're busy. You know, and forget about wearing white and righteousness. You've got to do what you've got to do to get ahead. And then you'll be happy when you get ahead. And it's not about marriage and faithfulness and commitment. It's about personal pleasure. And it's not about hard work. It's about shortcuts and seeing, you know, how I can assert my rights and so on and so forth. It's about seeing how I can beat the rules. What is Solomon telling us? Uh when he tells us that the only way to really enjoy life under the sun is by reconnecting with God, who's over the sun, connecting our life with eternity. Otherwise, nothing under the sun makes sense. And then Solomon changes the subject, just briefly here. In verse 11, he's got another conclusion, and uh, it's kind of interesting. Let me read a couple of verses here. I've seen something else under the sun, Solomon says, in conclusion to what I've observed. I've seen something else under the sun. Uh, the race is not always to the swift, or the battle to the strong, nor does food always come to the wise, or wealth to the brilliant, or favor to the learned, but time and chance happen to them all. 
Time and fate happen to them all. Moreover, no man knows when his hour will come. As fish are caught in a cruel net or birds are taken in a snare, so men are trapped by evil times that fall unexpectedly. Nobody knows what's coming tomorrow. Nobody knows about the evil times in which we live. And I think this is uh, Solomon telling us, you know, that life is unpredictable. You could probably, I, I don't think anybody would disagree. Uh, life is unpredictable. Even when you begin with the end in mind, even when you're prepared for the end, you need to know that you cannot control everything that's going to happen to you in life. God is in control, you're not. And life is unpredictable. And so this is another conclusion, and I think it's a challenge to the way that many of us normally think. Um, ability is no guarantee of success. The race is not always to the swift. And uh, chance happens. You know, timing happens. Uh, ability is not a guarantee of success. And sometimes life doesn't make sense. Uh, Barb and I have these friends that um, are very godly people, and uh, we love them, and they've been great parents, and their daughter recently died. And it's just like, it's such a devastating thing, and it doesn't make it. They're great parents, and they've been great models, and they're very godly people. And... Um, their daughter just died. And, uh, and then we have these other friends whose lives are a disaster. They've had affairs. They've, you know, been fighting so much. And they have these two kids who are absolute darlings. How does that happen? How does that work? Do you, do you have people like that that you, you know, that you, uh, I, I had a, a friend who was extremely health conscious. And uh, he came to church here for years. And um, I'd say, hey, why don't we get together, have lunch? He'd say, okay. He said, my wife will make lunch. I'd say, like, let's meet at the diner. No. My wife will make lunch. And he'd come into my office. He'd have a little picnic basket, and he'd have all this food that his wife... He didn't trust eating out. Very health conscious, very uh, exercise all the time. He dropped dead taking a walk. Just gone. Just like that. He was as healthy as an ox. You know, very conscientious. Just dropped dead. I have another friend. He doesn't know what exercise is. He doesn't know how to spell the word, right? Doesn't, doesn't know what diet is. Just eats to be happy. You know, he, come on, meet me for a donut all the time, you know, and all this kind of stuff. And he's living life large and having a ball. Doesn't, doesn't, it's unpredictable. It doesn't make sense. Have you, have you got friends like that you, you can't quite figure out? We've had friends that have things that have happened to missionary friends, and we say to us, God, why would you let that happen to them? They're choice people for you. Doesn't add up. Doesn't make sense. Frustrating sometimes trying to figure out, you know. Uh, one guy is very conscientious at work. You know, really puts in his time, is very conscientious. He gets fired. The next guy's a slacker, and he gets the promotion. And you're like, what is going on? It's just not the way life is supposed to be. And Solomon says, when I observe life under the sun, sometimes it's like that. And if you don't uh, factor that reality in and you get frustrated uh, because life isn't working out right, it's kind of like Psalm 73, uh, you know, uh, you just need to know. Life's unpredictable because chance or fate or God's will happens to us all. And timing is everything. Uh, you know, uh, Solomon says, timing and chance or fate happens to everybody. 
Um, haven't you ever said, oh, I just happened to be in the right place at the right time, and I happened to meet this person, and this person connected me to that person, and psh, I got this great job. But you don't deserve a great job. Yeah, but I just happened to be in the right place at the right time, meet the right guy, and psh, here I am. Doesn't life happen like that sometimes? And uh, I would suggest to you that uh, when you have the right destination in mind and you know that eternity is yet to come and that your rewards are in eternity, when life doesn't work out fair for you, it's okay. And Solomon is saying to us, look, relax. I understand that if life is limited to under the sun, it doesn't make any sense. But when you're connected to eternity and you understand that God is orchestrating the so-called fate or chances, remember, this is the same guy who in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 says, look, there's a time for everything. There's a time to be born, a time to die, and a time for everything else that God has planned for you in your life. So we Christians, we don't believe in chance, right? I heard this one guy say, oh, I believe in luck. He said, you know, the harder I work, the luckier I get. You know? And, uh, but... God is orchestrating things, and life under the sun is going to give way to life over the sun, and we cannot evaluate life's outcomes merely by observing what's happening under the sun. Jesus said it himself. He said, the first will be last, the last will be first. And you can't live as if this was all there is, or you'll be really frustrated because you'll wonder, what in the world is God doing, and why don't I ever come out on top? If you read the 73rd Psalm, it's just a great psalm. It's like the psalmist is saying, am I serving God for nothing? The bad guys keep winning. The, the, the Christian guys, the people who are serving God, keep losing. They're never wealthy. They're never healthy. Da, 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 da. You know, and he's like, and then all of a sudden I popped into church, and all of a sudden I got thinking about eternity, and then I realized that there's more than just life under the sun. And all of a sudden he was able to deal with that reality. And then, oh, then I'm done. That's what happens when, you know, you don't preach for two weeks and then it just kind of stores up, stores up, and then you... Well, you can read this, you know, and uh, he gives an example. In verse 13, he, he gives an example, and you can read it for yourself. It's an example of how life isn't fair, and uh, it's just a great little example. And then chapter 10 goes into this whole thing about wisdom and folly again and why wisdom is better to live with it, even though the results don't always show up under the sun. Let's pray together. Gracious God and Father, I so thank you for your word. It's so precious to us and uh, just how, how, how much we need uh, your word to correct our thinking. And I thank you so much that you've uh, deposited uh, this wisdom in Ecclesiastes. And I pray that you would help us to, when we think about how we're living under the sun, that we would do it with the end in mind and that we'd always be conscious that we've received eternal life. And that we're beginning to live that eternal life even now. And that when life doesn't add up for us under the sun, it's okay. That you know what you're doing and you're orchestrating things according to your purposes. And that it's our job, Father, to um, simply uh, respond to you in appropriate ways, in righteous ways, in order that you might continue to develop us into more God-first people. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen. We're going to ask our ushers if they'd come wait on us as we continue to worship through the giving of our tithes and our offerings this morning.